This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You're listening to The Advisory Board. Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, we are here to lend a helping hand. I'm Megan Flamer. And I'm Alan Jones. We've been there before. Sure have. We've helped thousands of founders, CEOs, organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. Mm -hmm. Several levels. (laughs) Each week we are here to take on the real issues from entrepreneurs like you and show you how to win the day with kindness and a little tough love. A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So make sure you send us all of your questions to Instagram. Um, You can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan and I mostly take, you know, personal requests like song requests also. (laughs) Or you can reach out to us on disrupt.radio. This is the Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Not that Alan Jones. Hello, Alan. Hi, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever had a good breakup? Yeah, I have, actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah. First of all, it's important to understand that I'm I'm really old. (laughs) He's been there before, everyone. (laughs) He's got advice for every situation. (laughs) So, you know, there's there's personal relationship breakups and there's business relationship breakups, but even my very first. So... um, you know, my first girlfriend at high school eventually uh, became my de facto and then my wife. Hmm. And at the end of that relationship, um, we, had, we had a cordial, amicable um, uh, breakup. Mm. And, uh, and she's out there somewhere in the world, I believe. Aww. She's married again. She has two little boys. Um, but she's not on social media. She's one of those eccentric people. Um, so fortunately, the algorithms aren't, aren't presenting me with her life or, or, or her with my life at any time. How about how about you? Have you had a, a good breakup before? I have had, <laughs> I've had many a breakup. In fact, our, our origin story of, of us, Alan, um, you know, came off the back of a breakup. Um, Me which- and I met at a party. <laughs> <laughs> I was licking my wounds and feeling heartbroken. But I, I also... Yeah, look, I've I've had good breakups and I think you learn how to do good breakups by having bad breakups. You know, you yeah. you treated maybe by someone who, you know, either ghosts you or breaks up with you via text or just doesn't want to have the conversations and it becomes obvious that you can't continue, you know. Um and I think you do learn how to have better breakups and better separations and better conversations maybe having been on the receiving end of someone not doing it so well. Yep, yep, yep. But I I think it's also learning how to treat yourself and what to do in those situations like post as well. Like this sounds terrible, but I think I'm very good at getting over someone. You know, you break up and it's sort of like, okay, well, look, I've done this before and it's a practised muscle of like, okay, here are the things that I need to do to now move on and grow and learn and do what you need to do with your life so that mm. you can, you know, get on to the next stage of your life. I think it's such a shame that um, that this isn't a subject taught at school, you know? Yes. It, particularly in high school, that's when you first start forming your first romantic relationships. But even in primary school, you know, you're forming friendships that mean a lot to you at that age. Yes. And, and maybe, you know, starting your first crushes and those crushes end. And uh, it, it just, it seems like, you know, that, that lack of skill and experience 
takes people down some very dark paths and they start to apply those same sorts of, of, of negative feedback experiences to, to, to the sorts of business relationships they form later in life. Yes. That's such a shame. It, we often talk about things like pro-social behaviours and how they're catching. So people behaving well to other people or, you know, engaging well or having good conversations, listening well. Catching as in viral. As in viral, exactly. Oh, <laughs> it's right, like, right, right. like COVID, but good. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where if the behaviour is modelled, then it gives people a way to be able to do that. So we noticed that people whose parents maybe didn't model good behaviour or good disagreements or, Mm -hmm. you know, good ability to be able to resolve conflict, often those people won't know how to do that. You just don't know because you haven't seen it happen. Um, And I I think that's that's a nice lead into our first uh, letter today because I, I think often when we're looking at these conversations, you know, some of the the letters that were sent around this, people are absolutely at a loss in how to have what I would consider kind of basic conversations. But it's always good to remember as well, like people just don't know what they don't know. And that's what I love about the letters that we get. It's just like constantly remembering there are a billion things that I don't know. And there are probably a few things that you don't know, but I I don't know what those might be, Alan. (laughs) I haven't found them. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, it's it's always kind of looking and researching, like, what are the blind spots that we have? What are the things that you just don't know? And that's why we are here and that's why we exist. So we can do that research for you or draw on our own own expertise. Yeah, that's it. So I get the feeling there might be a letter today. Oh, there is. There is. Okay. So my co-founder and I have built several companies together, but in the past year, it's become apparent we aren't working well together on our latest venture. We're short with each other. We're frustrated and we're not seeing eye to eye. The worst part is we're fighting often in front of the staff and tensions in the office are high. We floated the idea of working separately, but I think it's better for us to go our own ways, at least for this project. How do I have this conversation with my co-founder? Right now, he just feels like a massive asshole, but I know <laughs> deep down he's a good guy. How can we break up well? And this letter's from Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Oh, thank you, Breaking Up. That's a, that's a great letter, right? And mm. I appreciate your, your honesty about how you feel. Yeah. it's. It, it, I, I don't get the vibe that you're sharing that same level of honesty with your co-founder. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. I I. Imagine if they sent that letter to the co-founder, yeah, like literally sorry. just said that or you could send this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I stole your thunder there. But, you know, sometimes sometimes we do seek for another avenue, right, as a source of advice. We go to a friend or a mentor, maybe a board member if we're in a company that has a board. Mm. Um, and, and the challenge that we have is that we just feel ill-equipped and in breaking up's case, you know, they're describing someone that they clearly used to have a very functional relationship with. Mm. Like you wouldn't do one venture and then another venture and then keep doing that with a person that you didn't get along with, that the working relationship wasn't working. So, you know, I, I think we need to learn a bit more here about mm. what's changed. Yes. To help this these co-founders get through this, it would be great to understand what might have changed. Um, that would be my, my first course of, of investigation 
Yes. Um, and, and that should be a collaborative process between the two of you. Yes. I think as well, understanding what each other's wants and needs are and where the other person might be falling short. Because again, reading between the lines of this, I just feel like there's so much unsaid. Mm-hmm. They're fighting. There sounds like there's a lot of resentment. I mean, breaking up is hard to do, is ready to literally go their separate ways here and potentially break up the company or like break up the team, mm-hmm. the fact that they're fighting, like mum and dad are fighting in front of the, yeah. <laughs> in front of the children. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're in they this. have a coffee shop? <laughs> like go outside guys. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're noticing that they're just frustrated and I, I feel like frustration so often comes from misunderstanding and speaking at cross purposes. And one of the easiest ways to get clear on that might even look like writing down like what do you want to happen here Mm. what do you want the outcome to be like Mm. let's work backwards what Mm. does the future look like and if our futures are very misaligned here and I would also posit that this is very good advice if you're in a relationship with someone and you're both looking at like are we aligned or not like mm. get that on paper or get that out on the table. In, in in personal relationships and business relationships, if I can generalize for a moment, yes. with all the founders that I've worked with and all the friends <laughs> that I've known along the way going through difficult breakups, it comes down to four things primarily. Yes. Time, money, direction, and outcome. Mm, that's good. Pretty much all conflicts between, you know, partnership relationships come down to those four things. So so time is how hard are we working? How much are we trying to compress into every waking 18 hours a day that we have? Mm. How many of our weekends are we giving to this? And, and, and you know, time is also an expression of, of, of commitment. You know? Yes. So, so time is, is an expression of commitment. And, of course, money is what we use to buy time with. Yes. Right? So, so some of us want to run super cheap and, and lean and try and avoid spending money, whether it's your personal, you know, relationship income or, or what you're spending on your business. Other people want to get to the outcome faster and prepared to spend more money if they believe that, that that might get them there. And then other people want the journey to be you know more fun yeah. and that requires more money. So yes. if you've got different perspectives on time and money, that can be a problem. And then as, as you suggest, absolutely, the outcome is key. Why are we doing this? Do we still have the same outcome in mind? Yeah. And it's just a question of well, what direction should we head in order to achieve that outcome. Yes. So I'd love to get these two founders in, into a room with a whiteboard where the rest of the staff can't hear. Yes. <laughs> Something Some, soundproof. soundproof. <laughs> <laughs> Come to the studio. Yeah. <laughs> right back to us if yeah. you're listening. Yeah. Um, and, and if yeah. things are really, really dysfunctional, then, then perhaps you and I might do that with each of them separately. Yes. And then bring them together and say, hey, so here we are as a neutral third party and this mm. is what we've discovered each of you are able to say to us when the other is out of the room. Yes. And I think that's also, you know, having that third party perspective as well, because it's really easy to just think that someone disagreeing with you is an asshole. It's like, oh, you disagree with me. You're an absolute asshole. And it's just like, well, all, all different opinions and all different ideas are welcome. I love the idea that everything is a negotiation. Mm. Um, I've actually had a, a friend who is also an amazing founder say that to me about his relationship many years ago um, where he said, look, in my relationship, everything is a negotiation. Like if my partner literally comes to me and says, I want to move to Antarctica and I don't want you to come, his opportunity is to say that's an interesting idea. Mm, tell me more <laughs> yeah. as opposed to, are yeah. you crazy? That's a stupid idea. Why would I do that? You know, and so in the space of curiosity and discovery, 
you might discover that it's actually not Antarctica. They just really want to meet a penguin and they feel like that's a bucket list item Mm. and then you can figure out how to do that separately or together, but it doesn't become an absolute line-in-the-sand deal breaker, something that we could never do. It's just like go and fulfil your dream of meeting a penguin. I'm very excited for you. Go, enjoy. Yeah, Yeah. if you're getting ultimatums, it's because you've missed the opportunity to understand that this is a negotiation. Yes. And somebody's at the end of their tether and it's like, it's this or I quit. Um, and that then it can be very, very difficult to solve, but it's very rare that's, that that you can't move past that point. Most people, when they believe they're at an ultimatum, mm-hmm. just aren't aware of all the different options yes. that might still be available that the two of you haven't thought about before. Yeah, that's that's such good advice. <clears throat> the other The other thing that I think is really good to look at is where you're making something potentially small mean something else. So as an example, you know, they didn't show up for that meeting on time and it might've been because they were cut up in traffic or there was some big issue there. Um, you know, maybe their alarm didn't go off. Who knows? Your love language is me getting to the meeting on time. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the other person, it's just like, that was, that was all it was. But, you know, for breaking up is hard to do. I would look at whether someone's showing up late to a meeting or not doing what you want if you're taking that as meaning they don't want to be in it or they don't want to be doing that thing with you or are you tying a bunch of disparate, perhaps separate things together and making it mean that dot, 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 whatever that is, that this person isn't committed or that they don't want to do this project or that they're an asshole (laughs) or whatever that is. Like if you notice that you're accumulating a bone pile of resentment, the fastest and easiest way to move that bone pile is to have an honest and open conversation. Now, I have a caveat for this open and honest conversation. You have to take responsibility completely in the conversation. So one of my favourite things that a, an old yoga teacher of mine told me was anytime you're pointing the finger at someone else, and, you know, for those of you listening along at home, um, <laughs> take a moment and, like, make a little finger gun for yourself. Pew, pew. And just look. You've got one finger pointed at the other person and oh. you've got three fingers pointed back <gasps> at yourself. Yep. And so any time that you notice that you are blaming and defensive and angry and, you know, making the other person the asshole, just take a moment to look at those other three fingers and consider A, what is it like for the other person to be arguing with you or trying to have conversations with you? But also how are you responsible for creating this situation? And then have the conversation from that place. So that could look like, you know, Alan, I feel really upset and frustrated about the fact that you didn't come to the meeting on time. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of making this whole situation mean that you're not committed to the project or to the thing or to the blah, blah, blah. And I, my feelings feel really hurt about that, but I can see I'm kind of conflating those two things. So suddenly that's something constructive and it gives you an opportunity to then say, oh God, it's like my flight was delayed. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, well, I I get that your flight was delayed and I'm sorry that I was kind of a jerk to you when I should have probably just gone and got you a coffee so that you would be, you know, more nourished and refreshed. But repeated flight delays is a sign of something different, right? And, and yes. you know, my favourite saying, the thing that I will get on a T-shirt when I get around yeah. to it, <laughs> is we get the behaviour we reward. 
Ooh. You know? So yes. I hope I, my dog is listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> if I show up late for an episode of the advisory board and and it's because my flight was delayed one time, mm-hmm. then really the smart thing for me to start to do is to think, well, maybe just in case I should add a bit more padding to my trip down and maybe try and get a flight that's like half an hour earlier. You know? Yes. So if, if, if I do that once my flight is delayed, I do it a second time my flight is delayed and you're understanding and forgiving problem with that approach is, is that it can lead to reinforcing my behavior and I may start leaving Sydney later, you know, because I, <laughs> I don't like sunrise. I'm not a morning person. Alan, you're listening to the advisory board with me, Megan Flamer. And me, Alan Jones. And coming up shortly, we're going to be talking a little bit more about breakups, how to do it well, how to heal a broken heart. Wow. You know, over time, people not stepping up or not doing what they said they would, whether that's a big thing or a small thing, that erodes the trust. Like it erodes the trust bank. It does. And you can renew the trust bank by adding little things all the time, whether that's like remembering to do something or just, you know, if you promise to do something, Mm -hmm. doing it. And building up that trust because there's more goodwill and freedom and love and affinity in that space of high trust. So being conscious of the things that you promise, being responsible about how you do that. But I I do agree, like if it is constantly falling short or if it is constantly behaviour where you have communicated your needs, and this is the other thing, breaking up is hard to do. I don't know if you are being clear and communicating exactly what it is that you need. What do you need from your co-founder? If you've communicated what those needs are, what those outcomes are, what kind of time frame, you know, you've you've gone through those four elements that Alan was saying. If you've gone through those elements and you've asked for exactly what you need and then your co-founder still is unable to show up and do those things, then maybe it is time to call it a day. Maybe, maybe. And, and, and that's what Breaking Up has asked for, right? Some advice on, on how to do that in a good way. And, and I think the, the place to start from here is, is, is to find a space away from the office, a new mm-hmm. setting, different grounds and offsite, perhaps. And, and the other, you know, we need to go to, you know, the reason why big international treaties are signed on, mm-hmm. on neutral ground <laughs> yes. is, that, is that nobody has an advantage there, right? Yeah. So so it, it can be really important psychologically to step out of the space where you've spent so much time disputing with each other mm. to find a, a neutral space to work. And then I think in this case, it's probably going to be really important to have a, a, a neutral broker in between mm. the two of you to facilitate because clearly there's a lot of negative communication going on here. And I, I think the two of you lost your way in your relationship Yes. I don't think you can find your way to an amicable split without a little bit of help from a professional. Yes. And I think the other piece is to remember, and it's often good to start and end any conversation in this space as well, of what is it that got you into business with this person in the first place? Were you intentional about it? Was it an accident? You know, did you just suddenly find yourself building companies with them and then years later, here you are? And then the other side of it is like, what are you grateful for? You know, what have you learned in this space with this person, you know, maybe it does look like it's going to end, but you can still really take a moment to connect with like, wow, I'm really glad that happened or I'm really grateful that that happened and I feel really connected to, you know, whatever was good in that scenario and, you know, I think we've... 
definitely worth it's definitely worth trying to find that amicable post business yes. relationship um, place because you know people keep popping up everywhere you know if there's one thing about being old yeah. that, that is good it's you start to, to realize that everybody comes around again you yes. see everybody you worked with 20 years ago in in different positions places you never dreamed you might think oh that loser they're never going to amount to anything <laughs> and suddenly they're a client of yours and really important a to your business yeah yeah, yeah totally <laughs> and hosting a radio show <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. and, and so then, you know, amicable, functional post-relationship relationship can be a really important thing. So it's definitely worth shooting for. Yeah, and, and that space of disagree or agree to disagree, you mm. know, you don't have to align on everything to run a company together. You can creatively align on a bunch of things. You can figure out the space, you know, that you would inhabit or not if you do decide to go your separate ways in the company. Like a lot of that is stuff that you can put down on paper. Mm. Right. And just be like, okay, I'm going to manage these pieces. And that clarity, I think, creates a lot of safe boundaries, a lot of clarity around what's okay to do and not. Like, I get this coffee shop in the divorce. <laughs> you get this coffee shop. I'm going to keep the office cat. You're going to go and manage operations for this, this, and this. And I'm going to go and manage all the comms for this and all of the staff. You know, you figure out a good way to separate those things out and and have that clarity. And again, reading between the lines of this, you know, the tensions in the office, the frustration, not seeing eye to eye, that's just so often a lack of clarity. And mm. you can create clarity in a conversation. It doesn't have to be days and days of going to Camp David and <laughs> trying to figure out, figure out the Middle East, you know. There are complicated things that can be figured out, but the only way to get there is by actually communicating. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the quickest way to get to a re resolution is, what am I prepared to give up on? Like, yeah. What do I care about and what am I prepared to, to give up on? And hopefully there'll be some of those things there that your your partner really cares about that you're prepared to give in on and vice versa. And then yes. it's, it's relatively simple. You know, I've, I've had relationships end, end where, you know, one of us takes the property and the other of us takes the shares, you know, and, and, and the person who takes the shares is thinking, oh, awesome, fantastic. I've got all the shares and, and the person who takes the property is going, oh, yeah, you have a place to live. Yeah, like what does both of you winning look like? Like how much do you care about your co-founder winning? How much do you care about your partner also winning here? What is the both winning situation rather mm. than a zero-sum scorched earth, I can never speak to you or see you again and mm. that animosity? Like there's yeah. almost always a resolution that can be found, even if that looks like, hey, we're not going to speak for the next six months just because it's painful. And that's also okay. It's always about stating your needs, getting to know yourself, you know, look, maybe both of you need to be separately in therapy as well or, you know, having some kind of self-inquiry process mm -hmm. so you can get really clear about what is it I actually need, what am I asking for, how can I find that clarity? And then it's the other person's opportunity to then say, I, I don't agree with that, I don't want that, or yes, I can do that. So if, if I wanted to find a neutral party to help Mm -hmm. facilitate that process. What kind of professional, what kind of friend should I be seeking, do you think? It absolutely should be neutral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you mm -hmm. can use, I mean, anyone who does sort of coaching, mediation is one of the big ones. Great. Um, you know, in the startup space, there's a lot of people who work in and around like an EIR, for example. Mm -hmm. um, we've both worked as mediators. That stands for Entrepreneur in Residence. Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. Um, yeah, so like an EIR or um, anyone who's working on an accelerator program mm -hmm. or in and around those spaces, they're often very willing to do that. 
that. And Can I suggest some people to not talk to? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I've seen people make the mistake of going to the company lawyer or to their own Ooh, no. personal lawyer. Yes. That's never a good idea. That's no. never a good idea because lawyers are there to help prosecute disputes on behalf of one party. Yes. They're really not good at mediating between the two, typically. They really would prefer to represent one of you yes. and make sure that you get the best side of the deal no matter what, which is not really what we're looking for. That's not mediation. Yes. Another kind of professional that generally does a terrible job of this are, are accountants. Now, there may be uh -huh. exceptions out there for lawyers and accountants. There may be some great ones out there, but often accountants just look at the books. And, and, and accountants can be like, you know, the disgruntled ex who goes through the family home with a chainsaw and just saws the whole thing in half. Yes. You know, assets, clients, money in the bank, staff. Um, and just like in real life, when somebody chainsaws their house in half, when an accountant goes through the company and does the <laughs> same thing, it's never good. It destroys value for, for both parties and you're lucky yes. if either of you get away with, with any of it. So looking yeah. for a professional mediator or someone an entrepreneurial background who's not associated with a company but who you both have equal trust and faith in. Yes. Really good start. Yeah, I think that's important. And, you know, while I, I feel like I have more faith in a general mediator or, say, a friend who I think is really wise and wouldn't really take a side, it's really important that both people feel that way yeah. about the person. And there are also organisations like, you know, Relationships Australia, for example, they work on a sliding scale. It's not super expensive, you know, if you're worried about the cost of it or just getting, you know, a general counsellor or mediator or that sort of thing, they usually are pretty good at just facilitating a conversation. You'll do most of the work. Like the two of you should be doing most of the talking and most of the work. This person is just there to hold the space for it, to create some of the conversation, to go back and forth and make sure everyone's being heard. And just to repeat back sometimes what they're hearing, which is really valuable as well. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, breaking up is hard to do. We really do hope that you find a really good resolution here. Yeah, and, and, and we really hope that you're able to save the business and, and the relationship rather than one or the other. Yeah, and that it's a big win for both of you, but that you also grow from the process, that you learn, and that you learn how to have bigger, better conversations earlier so that it doesn't get to this point. This this is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Hey, Megan. Hey. Am I too old to be a startup founder? <laughs> oh, that's a brutal question. And it's it's completely what our question today. What um, if I put my cap on backwards? Oh, um, so the 80s called and it wants its look back. <laughs> but I'm on the TikToks now. Oh, you're on the TikToks. <laughs> oh god alan oh, well it's just it's one of those funny things right where oh, I've, I've got to read this letter because right. boomer or bust mm -hmm. sweet sweet boomer or bust has written us this lovely letter and the first thing that i thought when we got this letter i was like I thought of me no i didn't i thought it's oh. a long letter like you could have written that more succinctly <laughs> and then i was thinking if this was written so you know i've worked at other radio stations before and people would write these long beautifully handwritten flowery letters that mm. just did not get to the point and you just sort of think people reach out and want to connect about anything of course and 
there is a new paradigm now where we're using emails and shooting off tweets and using all these different bits and pieces and there's something about a beautiful handwritten letter. But <laughs> as I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, it's like a beautiful handwritten letter and a lovely old script. But you can tell because it's all cap lock. Um. <laughs> it's like a telegram. No, that's we're not making fun of you, Boomer right, or Bust. We we're go. very grateful for this letter. Hey, advisory board. There's something that's been playing on my mind lately. At the ripe old age of 60, can you believe it? I find myself in the throes of the tech startup world, a landscape that appears to skew more towards much younger founders and employees than other kinds of company. While I've been working my tail off, there have been moments where I've felt that I'm not being taken seriously. A few encounters with younger co-founders, employees and investors have left me with a niggling feeling that they see my age as a negative factor. I've tried to shrug this off and remind myself of all the experience and wisdom I bring to the table. But as you can probably tell, it's eating away at me a bit. And as they say, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. So what do you think? Am I just getting wrapped up in my own head or is there really an age bias in our industry? And more importantly, if it's not just my imagination, how do I confront it head on? Thanks, boomer or bust. It's a very, it's a nice letter. I like yeah. how self-reflective it is. Yeah. Like yeah. I think they're looking at, you know, is this just in my head or is it real? I think yeah. it's the first part of it. But I think it's also kind of examining like how do, what do I do? Like if this isn't just in my head, what do I mm. do here? Nobody's straight up saying, hey, old person. Yeah. You're too old to be in this business. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it is an impression. It is a feeling. Um, yes. But it, but it, but it sounds like you know maybe uh, the vibe that they're picking up from the rest of the of the crew is is you know is accurate. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe they're feeling something that that really is felt by the rest of the team. Yes. Um, and and yeah, I think there is an age bias um, in entrepreneurship in in startups of of all kinds. Yes. Um, and I think it comes down to uh, the founder myth. You know, like mm. um, the 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 stories that the rest of the Australian community hears about startups and entrepreneurship often start with people triumphing against the odds. And one of the really big hurdles in in being a successful entrepreneur is the amount of time that you have to execute and and, and succeed. And so, when a young person comes out and executes and succeeds and and creates a valuable business or a very popular product or service, often those are the stories that really stick, that get told and retold in the media, Mm. shared amongst friends. It's those young entrepreneurs that are suddenly billionaires, apparently overnight. Um, and, And so everybody kind of expects our industry to be full of those sorts of people. The stats, though. Yeah, I was going to say, statistically, that's not The stats tell us something very different, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So you and I have worked in in a lot of accelerator programs together and separately. Mm. Um, And so in an accelerator program, we see a lot of founders come through the program. And as an investor, I see a lot of pitches come my way. And so the stats that the industry show, um, very much, you know, that's what I see out there in the market, what you see out there in the market as well. So... Whereas everybody thinks that, particularly tech startups, but most startups are started by people in their early 20s and they're a billionaire by the time they're, you know, 28. <laughs> the truth, at least in Australia, is actually most founders are, are middle-aged. Yes. You know, getting going around about mid-40s. Yep. Often 50s, quite often early 60s. Yes. Because it, 
most people in Australia don't start out aiming to be a startup founder um, from the get-go. Usually most Australian entrepreneurs are in a career, in a profession, on a journey that's completely different to entrepreneurship, but then they experience a problem and they come up with, an, with a solution, you know, at least at the idea stage, and they set it to solve that problem that they've experienced. And that takes them out of their past career and profession and into a new career and profession as, as an entrepreneur. And so unless you started, you know, as a, somehow as a professional um, at the age of 15, um, <laughs> it's pretty rare that you'll be, you know, a successful entrepreneur in your, in your late 20s. Um, but those are the stories that stick. And I think that's why everybody kind of feels that somebody beyond a certain age, and I say this, today as a 58-year-old, um, everybody believes that, you know, it's nice to have you around and God bless you and aren't you sweet, but you, you don't really have what it takes. You don't cut it. Is that how you feel? Uh, look, I think there's a, a bunch of different things. There's my old drum of this is different for women at different ages as yes. opposed to men at different ages. I think the older women get, the more invisible they can become within this space. And I think certainly the idea of sort of the older woman trying to make it, you know, is a bit different from the older guy, like, you know, pulling up his bootstraps and doing what it takes is a bit different. So I think, I think those are also gender divide conversations as well. Um, I have noticed with Boomer or Bust, like I don't, I don't actually know, and I don't know if you know this founder, but I don't know if they're starting a, a, company or if they're working in a company yeah yeah i do know this founder yes. and and they are one of the co-founders of the company okay yeah, yeah. all right so they are starting the company do you know if the other co-founders are younger yes everybody okay. is younger yes. everybody is younger and and although this uh boomer does have a uh, you know a, man, a majority of the equity in the business and, and was the person that came up with the idea um, okay the other co-founders who, who are younger and the, do also have equity in the business and a significant minority stake. So yes. um, it, it's not like it's just, you know, some old boomer just started a company and employed a bunch of people. There yes. are some young people in leadership positions, you know, helping set the strategic direction and, and, and planning for the execution. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things that I always like to look at from from this, you know, of someone potentially being a bit of a misfit and whether that's age or something else. But if we're looking specifically at age, one of the big pitfalls that I've seen and is, is this a man, can I ask? Yes, it it's is, a man. It is a man. Okay, cool. Because I'm reading between the lines. I was like, it's a man. I really love that they are actually doing the self-reflection and really looking at, you know, is there smoke? You know, is there fire? You know, like, am I actually fitting in or am I not? I think a lot of the issues that I've seen with older male founders working with younger founders, male or female, is an older way of working, which can be to the detriment of the company or just not keeping up with technology, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I worked in a startup a few years ago where we had um, like a COO person um, and he was probably in his 50s. But like a few months in, I realised that he was getting me to do, and, you know, I wasn't his EA or anything like that. Like mm -hmm. I was a director in my own right at this company. But, you know, he was getting me to do things like, you know, send his calendar invites and manage a bunch of other things and like cut and pasting stuff or like how does this spreadsheet kind of thing work. Mm. And I think you've you've got to have your basics down. Like it doesn't have to, you don't have to be a coder. You don't have to be someone who's doing super complicated technological stuff, but you've 
you should have your basics down of like basic office bits and pieces, especially in a startup. You don't have a secretary. And if you're not going to pay for a secretary or an EA or an assistant or something, you need to be able to manage your basics. This isn't the 1950s. You cannot have, you know, a tea lady. You also can't get away with just, you know, go and get us a coffee, love. Like, no, (laughs) that's one of the beautiful things about startups and, you know, we've already spoken about the gender divides and things, but like generally it's a much flatter structure. Everyone's opinion, regardless of their age and, you know, anything else is welcome to bring their opinions. And, you know, there's a beautiful atmosphere of everyone being able to collaborate and bring things to the table. So I think, just examining your potentially outdated ideas around hierarchy or where you fit and whether or not you're pulling your weight in some of those basic ways that you would need to. This, this is the Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Are you too old, Alan? I'm too old. <laughs> I'd categorise that sort of 1950s work culture as, as command and control. And, yes. and I think... That style of leadership, you know, comes out of the military and post-World War II and, and so on. And and the reason why it was effective was that we didn't have technology to enable communications and, yes. and project management, right? So, so everything had to be communicated by one person to another person. And just the sheer time that that took meant that some people just had to follow orders and get stuff done. Yes. And what business culture has learned with technology behind us is that we can be more productive or we can be more valuable as an organization if we're able to use the technology tools to enable co-working, collaborative, you know, working together on, on goals. Yes. Um, and then the second level of, of that benefit is when everybody comes to the table with their own skills and that technology so that they can, instead of delegating bunch of tasks to people that don't exist, <laughs> yes. right? they can actually take on some of that, that work themselves. Yes. So, you know, I, I know, you know, for myself, anytime I, I'm working with a CEO who says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not very good with technology. I think, oh, because, yeah. you know, I spend all my, most of my time in tech startups. Yes. So <laughs> I find it very difficult to believe in a company led by a person who doesn't describe themselves as very good at technology. Yes. So you can be on a learning journey, Yes. but you can't not learn. And it's also not hard. You know, in the past, I think you'd have to go to a class or you'd go and enroll in some program or figure that out. Now you can literally just Google, how do I do a calendar invite or how do I get on Slack? Mm. You know, there are a bunch of products that they literally give you a wizard so that you can Mm. go through and they, you know, let me show you the product. And you can't do too much harm. You know, early in the software industry, you know, when I was an early employee at Yahoo, I could literally delete the (laughs) homepage of Yahoo. All the things. Right? I could break Yahoo. And and I did, you know, every Mm. now and again at three in the morning when I was trying something new. Yeah. These days, there would be a little pop-up that would say, are you sure you want to delete Destroy the whole whole company. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing to realise as well is pulling your weight looks different now. And this is one of the big things that I look at again and again, where there is an area of blind spot, I feel, around especially older men working in organisations where they either have that old idea of how offices should or would work or have worked before. They're used to being the boss, potentially. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've worked with a group of people where everyone's on Slack except for this one older person. And it's generally fallen to me 
to take on the extra work of making sure that I've communicated everything to everybody in the office, which means having to do extra labour, like mm-hmm. sending an email to this person, making sure that they know, and then making sure that the calendar invite is done and we don't just organise it with the tools that we have. So just acknowledging that your blind spots or your areas of I don't know how that tech works, that's labour that falls to another person and they have to pick up your slack on that, literally. Um, And so I think those sorts of things as well can build a bit of resentment. Alan, you and I have never, I mean, we're not that different in age, but, you know, we've never had a tech issue ever. Yeah, yeah. Like we do calendar invites, Hmm. you know, you're actually the person who introduces me to new tech products more than I've done the latter. All the new Um, toys. Yeah, like all of those things. Like Hmm. they're... It's, there's no barrier to that really and it is so easy now to learn how to do those things. They're very, very, very simple and, you know, we're here to explain if you, you know, need to. It's not about like gatekeeping and keeping people out of it but it no. is so simple to yeah. be able to do these things. To go back to that 1950s, you know, uh, command and control mentality, mm. you know, an army only moves as fast as its slowest moving exactly. soldier, right? And if the slowest moving soldier in the army is the general, mm. then, you know, that organisation is going to be limited by you as, as, a, as a CEO. So this is not a, a, a question of going and signing up for a TikTok account and um, <laughs> going and, and buying jeans at a different store and, and trying to stay up with what everybody's listening to in the office when it comes to music. It's really a question of, of of understanding that um, you need to change your your work practices probably. Yes. And that's probably what everybody cares about, you know, even if you just take the caps lock key off. Yes. <laughs> it would be a great start. And, and I think it's, yeah, it's less about the age as a negative factor and more about contribution potentially as a negative factor, like looking at where you might be falling short. And as Boomer or Bust asks, how do I confront it head on? I would talk to the team. Like I would have an actual conversation and say, Mm. hey, I don't know if this is just me being a bit insecure about my age, but I'm worried that I'm missing things. Mm. You know, are there areas where you can see that I need to upskill? Are there other things I can do? Are there other ways that I can contribute Mm. that I'm not? Maybe let's do a strengths test or, you know, kind of look at what our superpowers are collectively and then we can really be clear. Like if you have a question about equity or, I don't know, um, leadership management or, you know, how to do this other particular thing, how to make the perfect grilled cheese sandwich, like I am your guy for that. But if you want to talk about, you know, marketing and going to market and customer interviews, then this person over here is the person for that. How so, should I have that conversation? Call an all hands meeting and talk uh, for I 60 probably, minutes myself? No, my no God. No question <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen that happen so many times and it's so disingenuous as well. I, I think talking to your co-founders and sitting down and coming from a place of humility mm. because, again, I think with the older white male Mm. part of it is like no one wants to be spoken at and be going through all of that, you know, oh, I can see that I'm just not da-da-da, but making it all about you. It's like if it's about the company and having the company succeed and having those conversations to make the company succeed and coming at it from a problem-solving lens and inviting everyone to be a part of that conversation and the problem-solving. And then, you know, potentially that's great for the entire company, right? Like going through and looking at what everyone in the company's strengths are so that you can all bring that to the table. Yeah, so you heard it here first, boom or a bust, you know. 
write an all-hands memo. <laughs> Stop giving bad advice. <laughs> uh, no, I think, you know, having genuine conversations, getting yeah. clear about what your shortfalls might be, mm. getting really clear about the things that are maybe the blind spots as well. Like, what are you missing? Yeah. yeah. Are you using or not using any tools that everyone else in the company is using? And are there ways that you can contribute that maybe aren't being utilised, which is making you feel a little insecure as well. But, Great advice. Yeah, and we so appreciate your humility in, in writing. Like, I love that you're even examining this and really looking at, you know, how do you confront it and being the person who really does that? Because it's easy to double down and be like, people are being ageist or they're being sexist or it's a problem. Yes, it is a problem, but let's look for workability. Nice. <laughs> You're listening to the advisory board with me, Megan Flamer. And me, Alan Jones. We love having you join us. Make sure you contribute your questions. If you've got a big burning question. Come at us. Yeah, let us know. You can reach out to either Alan or myself on LinkedIn or on Instagram or to disrupt.radio. You can tune in to us live between 11am and 1pm on DAB Plus or you can jump on disrupt.radio and listen to us anytime. We will be back very soon. Hi, I'm Nick Brax, host of Soul Trader on Disrupt Radio. I've been interviewing people who have achieved huge things in life and uncovering how they keep it together and how they survive the struggle to success. You can listen to all of my podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcast you prefer. Just search Nick Brax, Soul Trader. When you finish binging all of my shows, be sure to check out the rest of the Disrupt Podcast Library, The Business Lounge, The Next Shift, Global Disruptors, The Advisory Board, and Conscious Capital. Maybe you own a business or an entrepreneur or just simply want to improve yourself. Disrupt Podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in to Opportunity. Disrupt Radio.